uh, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, and verse number 43. And uh, I hate to do it to you because you look so comfortable. Some of you have already gotten settled in. But let's just go ahead and, and stand out of respect for the reading of the Word. I do want to go ahead and read a, a text tonight. And uh, John 1 and 43. Thank you for doing that. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. Look at the person beside you and say, Philip. And saith unto him, follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael saith unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? Thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Thank you for standing. Could we just, could we just bow our heads and ask the Lord to touch our hearts? Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for all of these good saints that have gathered here tonight on a Wednesday in the middle of the week to study your word. And I pray that we would carefully consider what you have for us tonight, God. Thank you for meeting us, and I pray that your word would become real to us in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, thank you for standing. You can be seated. It's hard to believe that the month of April is, is almost gone. We just have a few hours left, and uh, this month has just flown by. I don't know about you, but April's just flown by. And, uh, and all this month, we've been, as a church, we've been focusing on the theme of building the kingdom. And tonight is our final lesson in this series. And, uh, and before I jump into the main thought here, I do want to say that I know how intimidating it can be to try and reach people with the gospel. Sometimes we feel guilty because we know that we could and should do a better job of trying to reach out to the people around us. And that's why uh, it's one of the many reasons why I try to avoid using the phrase reaching the world. We hear that used a lot in conjunction with evangelism and outreach. And the reason I avoid that is because it sounds daunting to us as individuals. Even Jesus didn't reach the world all by himself. He produced disciples who produced disciples who produced disciples. And that's why we're here tonight, because Jesus began a process of evangelism that is still effective all of these thousands of years later. When you think about that, 
That is a powerful and profound thing that Jesus set in motion a process that is still just as relevant today as it was the day that he called Philip and said, follow me. And, uh, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave us a, a, an example that we could follow. And, uh, and we see this model beautifully illustrated in this story that we've read of Philip finding Nathaniel in John chapter 1. And I know it's a familiar story to most of us, but uh, I want to just lift a few simple truths from this story tonight. And first of all, uh, I'd like to begin by noticing that Jesus began this process of, of evangelism himself. This was, uh, this was something that Jesus did purposely, and it's a reason that all four of the Gospels emphasize over and over again how Jesus began the process of going to people, seeking them out, finding them, and calling them and reaching out to them to follow him. Jesus physically took the time to go and find Philip. Jesus took the time to have a conversation with Philip. Can you say praise the Lord? And Jesus had the courage to ask Philip, to make a decision to follow him. And the text implies that Philip was already acquainted with Andrew and Peter. Uh, they were all from the same hometown of, Beth, uh, of Bethsaida, and it, and it made sense for Jesus to seek out and to find Philip. And I'm always struck by the fact that uh, when Jesus would call people, they responded so uh, instantaneously to the voice of Jesus. How many know that Jesus can change your life in an instant? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a long, drawn-out process. Just a moment with Jesus can, can change your life. How many believe that tonight? How many can testify that you've had moments, life-changing moments? Now, I know that our lives can change gradually and slowly, and some things do take time. And, uh, and some things do require a process of change. But I still believe that Jesus can touch your life in one moment and turn your world upside down and transform things in your life. Does anybody believe that Jesus can still do that? Jesus can still take a humble fisherman and completely change his life. Jesus can take someone that the world looks down on. He can take someone that the world overlooks that the world might even despise perhaps, and Jesus can turn them in to a, a mighty soul winner, a preacher of the gospel. Amen. That's exactly what Jesus can do. And so Jesus began this process, and, uh, and when Jesus sets an example for us, and of course, anything from the Word of God we need to take very seriously, but in particular, when Jesus, God manifests in the flesh, everything that Jesus did was on purpose. Jesus didn't do anything on accident, and it's certainly not recorded in the Word of God for us to just kind, kind of ho-hum about, but Jesus wanted us to know that He went to people, and He found them, and He took the time to be interested in them, and to reach out to them, and to see their lives transformed and changed and of course not everybody that Jesus called to not everybody that Jesus reached out to responded the way he wanted them to respond even Jesus in fact Jesus suffered more rejection if you really look at it Jesus suffered rejection almost everywhere that he went he really did and secondly I want us to notice that Philip didn't waste any time at all he quickly 
imitated the example that Jesus had set for him. He did exactly what Jesus did, and he went looking for his friend, Nathaniel. Let's look at that in John 1.45. Could we read this together? Philip findeth Nathaniel and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What an amazing thing. Now let me pause here and focus on the importance of trying to reach our friends. Everyone said, my friends. Look at your neighbor and say, my family. My friends, my family. We could throw in there, as I often do, you've heard me say this, the big three, friends, family, co-workers. Uh, but we could throw in their neighbors, our community, people in our what we sometimes call our circle or our sphere of influence. And uh, this is exactly what Jesus did, and that's exactly uh, the example that Philip followed. I won't bore you with dozens of boring statistics. I could do it. I like statistics. I'm one of those strange people. I enjoy statistics, but I know that it can bog people down and become boring very quickly. Uh, but I do want to show you one here. But all of the research shows that we Christians, how many are a Christian tonight? That we Christians are most effective when we're reaching out to people that we already know. Now, in no way am I trying to minimize the importance of reaching out to strangers. We absolutely should reach out to strangers and make an effort to, uh, to, to try to make a connection with people that we don't know. But all of the research shows, and Jesus certainly set an example, that, that we have not only should we, but we have an obligation, a responsibility. In fact, I would say that we have a calling from God, a mandate from Jesus himself, to try and do everything within our power that we possibly can to reach our, our family, our friends, people that we already know. And certainly we're most effective in those areas. Now let me show you a boring statistic, and I... Uh, please don't fall asleep, but uh, this is an important statistic. All right, here we go. Did you know 82% of people will come to church if they're invited by a friend? But typically, only about 2% of people are actually inviting their friends and family to church. Now, I realize that this is a statistic that stretches across denominations, it stretches across, it's just kind of a broad statistic that encompasses uh, all those who claim to be Christians as a whole. I pray, I pray that that statistic does not hold true uh, for the apostolic Pentecostal Holy Ghost filled movement. Uh, and, and I really don't believe, but, 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 I will say that my experience has been that it's not far off. Many times, it's a small percentage of the church that is actually making an effort on a weekly, look at your neighbor and say, a weekly, not a yearly, not Easter, <laughs> not, not Christmas only, not just the holidays, but on a weekly, or we might even could say on a daily basis to invite people out to the house of God. And, uh, and so this statistic is startling, and it's tragic, really. It ought to cause us to, to stop and think. And I know when I read it, I had to search my heart, and I felt a little twinge of conviction. Uh, just the other day, I was, uh, I was out, and I was talking to someone. I'd struck up a conversation, 
and uh, made a, a, you know, just one of those passing connections that you sometimes make with people. And, uh, and I left the conversation, and, and about 10 minutes later, I felt the Holy Ghost just convict my heart. And I realized, God said, you, you did not invite that person to church, and they were wondering why you didn't invite him to church. You ever had that happen to you before? It was just clear as day. I had to get back in my car and drive 10 minutes back there to invite, to give him a church card and invite him to church because I realized that I, that I had, had avoided my responsibility. And so it's a dangerous thing that we can get to a place. Now let me, let me take you back to a slide that we looked at. I know I promised not too many statistics, don't, and I promise this is the last one, but I want to take you back to a slide that we looked at two Wednesdays ago, and I want to show you something. Everybody awake? Everybody alive? Just wave your arm at me if you're, if you're awake. If you hate statistics, just uh, pretend like you like them for just a minute here, okay? Just pretend. All right. Now, we looked at, we'll ignore this one. We're going to look at this one. Now, we're looking at the U.S. conversion rate. Again, this stretches across the kind of the whole spectrum of Christianity. Hopefully, this doesn't hold entirely true for the apostolic movement. But they say that 100 saints, so 100 church members, and that's active church members, plus one pastor, plus $100,000, and that's $100,000 spent specifically trying to reach out and do evangelism, typically equals about one new convert a year in the typical church in the United States. Now, that's a tragic statistic, isn't it? That's a tragic statistic. Now, what that means, now the reason I'm pointing that out to you is what that tells me is that there is no possible way that 100 saints are inviting people to church on a regular basis. Because if they are, and 82% of their friends would be likely to come to church with them, this statistic would be far, far, far different. Don't you think that would be true? And so this is indicative of a problem that is plaguing the Christianity as a whole in the United States. Now, this isn't true in China. In China, churches are tripling and quadrupling on a yearly basis. In South America, places like Brazil and Peru, churches are tripling, quadrupling. They, don't, they can't even get buildings to hold. Because, you know why? Because people get the Holy Ghost, and then they go and tell their entire family, everybody that they know, and before you know it, entire families have, have been changed by the power of the gospel. But something has shifted in America and to where there's almost a, uh, a resistance to outreach. Now, I don't say that to discourage you. I say that because I think that it can be changed, and I think that we can have revival in America today. How many believe that tonight? I believe that we can. So, so this, is, this is a statistic that shows us that not only are people not simply just doing something as simple as inviting people that they know to church, but Christians aren't sharing their testimony as often as they should. How many are proud to have a testimony tonight? How many are glad that God has delivered you from some things? How many are glad that God has saved you from some things? How many are glad that God has changed your life? Now, one of the greatest dangers of being a longtime Christian, and it really doesn't even take that long. I'm often amazed at how people can, can come out of all kinds. I don't mean just come out of some. I mean come out of some pretty 
major things and it doesn't take too long before we're not talking about what God delivered us from any longer. People need to know what God brought you from. People need to hear your testimony. They need to know that God changed you. They need to know that if it can happen for you, it can happen for them too. You're not different than your neighbor. You're not different from your friends. You're not different than your co-workers. You're just a sinner saved by grace who's been touched by the gospel, who has been changed by the blood of Jesus and has a revelation of who God is. He's the mighty God in Christ Jesus and it's changed your life and turned your world upside down and God can do it for everybody. God is no respecter of persons. Amen. He can do it for rich, poor, young, old, anybody. God can change anybody. Now, I'm not going to preach a long, teach a long time tonight, but, uh, but I do want to give you a few reasons that I think people don't invite more folks to church. Now, some of these may apply to some of us, some of them may not, but I'm going to give us five reasons why, uh, why we don't invite more folks to church. How many think it's a good thing to invite people to the house of God? All right, number one, they think it's the pastor's job to invite people to church. I see this as a mentality quite often that many churches will develop a mindset where they, they view it as maybe not just the pastor, but the ministry in general, the ministers of the church. It's their job exclusively to do outreach. It's their job exclusively to reach people. But can I just tell you, it is the body of Christ's job. We are all members of the body of Christ. And each and every one of us has to reach out. You know, the, my arm, if my muscles quit working, if different parts of my body, my arm can't reach out to help pick somebody up. It takes my whole body to make that happen because it's all flowing. It takes the entire church, every single one of us, working together to reach out to a lost and dying world. And so it's no one person, it's no group of people, it's not some small uh, exclusive group that has a responsibility. Each and every child of God, if you're a Christian, if you've got the Holy Ghost, if you've been changed, then you have a responsibility to reach out to people. Now, I've often said this and I want to clarify this. We, we all have, it's the law of the harvest and plant, the seed planting. Well, all we can do is plant the seed, amen? We're not responsible in no way am I trying to insinuate that, in, that somehow if you're planting seed and it's not, you're not necessarily seeing the return the way that you want it to, that somehow you're a failure. You don't always know what the seed that you're planting will do. I remember I had a friend of mine. Uh, he, he, was out on, uh, he was out doing some things and he invited somebody to church and he wound up giving them a, just a quick 30-minute Bible study in the parking lot of a Walmart just standing out there, and it was raining. And raining, trying to give this Bible study, this person was hungry, gave him a church card, and said, and they said, I'll see you in church Sunday. I'll see you in church Sunday. You know how people do sometimes. I promise, I'm, you're going to see me on Sunday. And Sunday came and went. He did not see them. And, and uh, you know how your, your flesh will do. You kind of get a little you get a little disappointed because you, you thought, man, I really felt like I had made a connection. I really felt like God had touched that person in that Bible study in just that few minutes. And and didn't see him. And months went by. And he got a phone call six months later from this person. And th that what had happened was 
they, they had, they, he didn't know it at the time, but they had got up, they, and their job had transformed. They had to go out of town on a job, wound up relocating, got in a church a thousand miles away, and they were a minister in the church six months later. God had transformed their life, and he'd, all that time had passed. He had planted that seed. He thought nothing had come of it, but actually it had, it had, it had germinated. It had taken root, and, and a life had been changed, and he didn't even know until six months later. Sometimes you never know. You don't always have the luxury of knowing. Sometimes it can take years and years. I could just tell stories about that. All right. Secondly, they view evangelism as something that should be scheduled rather than a way of life. Look at your neighbor and say evangelism is a way of life. It's a way of life. Uh, I still like to do good old-fashioned door-to-door outreach. Uh, in fact, my, my childhood would be, uh, would be I, I, most of my childhood memories are uh, knocking doors. <laughs> in fact, uh, one of the things that we did a lot of, we, we sold uh, World's Finest Chocolate. Anybody remember World's Finest Chocolate? We used to do that, in, you know, being in a small home mission church growing up. And uh, I don't know if it was the world's finest, but it was pretty good, I have to admit. And, uh, and I grew up knocking doors, and I've seen people get the Holy Ghost on, the, on, the, on their doorstep. Uh, I've seen people get, I've, uh, I was with Dad one time, and we baptized someone in their swimming pool in their backyard. And that, and that was an exciting time. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I still believe in good old-fashioned door-to-door outreach. I believe in a church should come together as often as possible to make a unified effort to impact a community. In many ways, it, it brings it to the forefront of our mind. It, 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 it shows the community that we're, uh, that we're trying to, to, to reach out to them, and it's a wonderful thing. That kind of evangelism has its place. We do it, and it's important in its own way. But evangelism, the most effective evangelism, is on, from individual to individual. Point at yourself and say, me. The most effective evangelism is, is the evangelism that we do on a daily basis in our personal life. And it has to become a way. I'm going to say it. If I have to say it a thousand times, I will. It has to become a way of life. It has to become inviting people to church and giving people our testimony and just uh, reaching out to people. It ought to, be, to a Christian, it ought to be as natural as breathing. It ought to just become a part of our DNA. It, just, it should just be a part of who we are. We shouldn't have to necessarily uh, think about it and agonize. It ought to become something that we do naturally. And uh, now, that doesn't mean it isn't hard work to get to that place because some of us are more introverted. Believe it or not, uh, I'm a very shy person. I really am. I know I don't seem like it, but uh, if, if I were to just to be who I am just on my own, uh, I, I would probably be a recluse on a mountain just reading books somewhere. Amen. We all have natural personalities that we could just kind of keep to ourselves sometimes. Some people, it's more natural for them to just go out and be bubbly and just, you, you know those people, they just never meet a stranger. You know what? People, it's just like everybody that uh, my grandpa Smith used to be that way. He he just go up to people and uh, he'd get done talking to him. I'd say, well, how how long have you known him, Grandpa? Well, I just met him for the first time, and you'd think they'd known each other their entire life. Some people just that's a gift for them, but no matter what your personality is, you have to find a way to let God use your personality to to reach out to people. Can you say praise the Lord? This is a big one. 
Many people fear rejection. This is a big one. Many people are, are, are nervous to reach out to people because they, uh, nobody likes to feel rejection. How many like rejection? Raise your hand. You just love rejection. No, nobody likes rejection. We hate rejection. And, and most people, most human beings have natural uh, psychological defense mechanisms that are in place at, where we avoid rejection at all costs. And, uh, and if we're not careful, many people can allow that to keep them from reaching out to this world. How many think it would be a shame to see somebody lost because we fear rejection? Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? We have to push through that fear sometimes, and we have to be willing to do it. And some people will reject you. Amen? Some people will. We already mentioned that many people rejected Jesus. And so we, we can't allow that to keep us from reaching out to people. All right, fourthly, many people don't invite more folks to church because they don't make evangelism a priority. I know that's simple, and I know that, uh, I know that seems almost too simple to even mention, but it really is true. We just simply, the busyness of life, doesn't life get busy sometimes? Isn't it amazing how, how it seems like year after year life just gets busier and busier and busier? And if we're not careful, we can allow just the cares of this world to keep us from making evangelism a priority. And finally, they've lost the sight. They've lost sight of the reality of eternity. Now, I don't want to belabor this too long, but when you have an understanding that heaven is real and hell is real. It will, it will, it will give you an incentive. It'll, it'll drive you. When you look at people and you realize that eternity hangs in the balance. How many know that eternity hangs in the balance? How many know that eternity is a real thing? It's a reality. And when, and when you keep that somewhere in the forefront of your mind, it will help you to make it a priority in your life. And that'll help you to reach out to people, even when it's uncomfortable and difficult. Here's another reason that I think some people don't invite more folks to church. And it's, it's not going to be on the screen, but it's a common one. Some people don't feel qualified to talk about spiritual things. Uh, they, maybe they don't feel like they are, you know, like Moses. He didn't feel like he was a, uh, a good speaker. He had a speech impediment, many people believe. And so uh, he felt like he needed an errand in his life. And many people feel like they're just not... Uh, they're not eloquent enough. They're not well-versed enough. They, they get nervous, and they think, you know, may, I just don't think I'm qualified. If I get into a discussion, I may not have the answer. Can I just pause and let somebody know? You don't have to have every single answer for every one of life's problems. All you've got to know is who Jesus is. All you've got to know is the address to the church and get him in the presence of God, and God will do the rest. You know, what, you know what that means when I hear people that say, well, I don't feel qualified. That tells me that they're leaning on their own understanding. You can't lean on your own understanding. You know, evangelism isn't a technical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a battle that can be won with prayer and fasting. If you don't know what else to do, pray for somebody. How long has it been since you pushed back the plate and said, I'm going to fast because that's a soul and I want to see their life change. Every once in a while, we've got to say, you know what? I'm going to deny this flesh because I know that hell and heaven is a reality and I want to reach a lost world. And every once in a while we have to say, I may not have every answer, 
but I'm going to reach out to people anyway. Never, ever let low self-esteem or some self-perceived lack of qualification hold you back from reaching out to people. And that brings me nicely uh, to my final point. Look at how Philip responded to Nathaniel's uh, skeptical, demeaning, and argumentative demeanor. Let me take you here to John 1 and 45. Could we read this together? Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael saith unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come. Can we say that together? Come and see. So here they are. They're having this, this, uh, this conversation and uh, Philip is excited. How many remember when, when you first found Jesus, or we might could say when Jesus first found you? How many remember when you first received the Holy Ghost, that joy that you had, that zealousness that you had, that energy that you had? Every once in a while, apostolic, you have to get back to that place where Jesus first found you, and you got to fall in love with Jesus all over again. you got to get a good old-fashioned refilling of the Holy Ghost. I worry about people who say, tell me, well, I got the Holy Ghost back in, in uh, 1977, and I haven't spoken tongues since then. Hey, you better get a refilling of the Holy Ghost and remind yourself and let God remind you of what it means to have the zealousness of God burning in your heart heart and burning in your spirit to get the fire the passion burning again in your life because you can't reach people if you're dry yourself if you're running on fumes it's hard to 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 reach out to people amen you got to get a hold get that burning again in your life get it get it get it get that flame fanned and burning brightly and so here is philip he's he's excited and, uh, and he immediately, he thinks of his friend Nathaniel. This is someone he's acquainted with. And he's looking for him. And he goes to him and he's excited. Uh, you know, I read into text sometimes, but I, it almost sounds to me like he's breathless. He can't wait to tell Nathaniel about Jesus. He can't wait to tell him that he's found the Messiah, the one that Moses had been prophesied about. And he comes to him. And immediately after he gives him this good news, Nathaniel just, he just kind of, throws cold water on the whole thing. Doesn't that sound like a lot of our experiences sometimes? It does. If we were honest, that sounds like a lot of our experiences when we're reaching out to people, doesn't it? So he goes to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, he's skeptical. Uh, and, and, and in fact, uh, not only that, but, but he's, he's, uh, he's, he's prejudiced towards the city. He says, can, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And, uh, and so he's, he's very... In fact, it sounds to me, and, and uh, forgive me if I'm reading too much into the text, but it sounds to me as if we're dealing with someone here who has, who has been excited in the past and thought that he had found the Messiah. These were people, they were looking for the Messiah. It's obvious from Philip that, that they had been anticipating, they had been looking, they had been praying. They, this was something that they talked about from the time they were a child, their fathers, their grandfathers, they talked about the Messiah. And, uh, and this was something that they were looking for. And it, it sounds to me like Nathaniel had gotten his hopes up in the past. And, and he thought that perhaps maybe this was the Messiah only to realize that, that he had been duped, that he had been fooled by something, that he'd come into contact with a fake or a forgery. 
Can I tell you that there are people right now who are hungry for truth. They're hungry for the gospel. They want the power of Jesus alive and working in their life. But they've come into contact with a church that let them down. A church that wasn't preaching the gospel. That wasn't standing on God's word. And they came into contact with a a forgery. And it left them empty and frustrated and skeptical and disappointed. And it's no wonder that when another Christian comes along, they begin to doubt maybe this isn't the real thing. Can we be honest? Is that okay? I, I, I can't tell you how many, how many people I talk to that, that want, they, they used to be open to it, but they've come into co- contact with so many fakes and so many, uh, so many people who, who smiled and claimed to be a Christian and then lied. A Christian businessman, you know, Christian politician. Isn't that the worst when politicians run as a Christian and, and, then, and then nothing that they do reflects their Christianity? That crosses party lines, folks. Yes, it does. Businessmen and then, and then only to find out that they're just as bad as everybody else. That destroy. And I'm going to tell you, God is not pleased when that happens. And so Nathaniel is skeptical and, and he's got doubts. And I love, I love how Philip responded. And I think it's exactly how each and every one of us should respond. He didn't argue. He didn't get into a big mean-spirited de- debate. He didn't throw a Bible at him. He didn't hit him upside the head. He said, listen, if I can just get you to come with me, just come with me and see. If you'll get in the presence of Jesus, if you'll experience this for yourself, you're going to understand that this isn't like everything else. This isn't another false prophet. This isn't another evangelist. This isn't just another TV preacher who's trying to get in your wallet and sell you some fake miracle water. This is the real deal. Just come with me and get in his presence. Hey, apostolic tabernacle, if we could just get people in the presence of Jesus, if we could just get people in an old-fashioned altar, if we could just get people in a prayer meeting where the presence of God falls, where you can reach out and touch the hem of his garments. You know what that takes? It takes faith that when you get people in the presence of Jesus, that Jesus can and will change their life. Does anybody believe that Jesus is still in the life-changing business? Would you just clap your hands as a testimony if you believe that the gospel still changes people? Stand with me all across the building. The gospel still changes people. Now, I, I know that we've kind of... Um, belabored this point this month and uh, and and I understand because you know I, I grew up in church I, I you know born on Saturday in church on Sunday kind of a thing and I know that sometimes we we kind of sigh when the preacher gets up and and teaches another lesson about how we need to go and reach reach the world and we feel almost overwhelmed sometimes but can I just tell you that it's really just as simple as just loving people enough to just say hey listen I know who Jesus is, and I'd love for you to come experience Jesus for yourself. I'd love for you to do it every day, not once a year, not twice a year, but every day. Now, it may be a while before I teach like this again, but I wonder if there's somebody who would just stretch up your hand and say, Brother Ryan, I I make a commitment right now that I'm going to put it in the forefront of my mind. I'm not going to let it get on the back burner. I'm going to make it a high priority in my life. I'm going to overcome fear of rejection. I'm going to push against all of the things that might keep me maybe low self-esteem. 
I'm not going to let the cares of this world, the busyness of life, keep me from fulfilling my responsibility as a child of God to do something just as simple as sharing my testimony when I can and inviting people to the house of God. How many will do that? Amen. All year long, become a way of life. Let's lift up our hands and ask the Lord to anoint us everywhere we go. Dear Lord Jesus, God, I pray right now for every individual under the sound of my voice. I, I'm standing in front of good people tonight, God. I'm standing in front of people who love you and who love the lost. I pray that you would empower us. I pray that you would equip us, God. I pray that you would anoint us, embolden us, strengthen us, I pray. Lord, I pray that there would be testimonies that would spring up in people's lives, God. I pray that there'd be people right now, they don't feel qualified. Oh, hallelujah. There's people right now, God, they don't feel qualified, Lord, but they're going to see people saved because of their testimony and their witness and their influence. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. And I pray that you would touch everyone here. Go with us. Bring us back this weekend, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed tonight. Thank you for being here. Find three or four or five people. Shake their hand. Tell them you love them. Tell the preacher thank you for teaching a little shorter than usual.